VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And we thank you for joining us on Crosstalk here on VCY America. Ladies and gentlemen, there's been a lot happening at our southwestern border, and uh, we are connecting right now with our guest here in order to uh, give you the latest information here from Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, Certainly troubling as to what we see unfold right now, massive numbers that have been making their way to the border and uh, there has been a surge that has taken place. Matter of fact, even with this $1.7 trillion omnibus that has taken place uh, the Friday before Christmas, the uh, uh, Center of the uh, Border Patrol offices uh, released statistics on Border Patrol apprehensions of illegal migrants at the southwest border in November. Those numbers are more than a week late and curiously did not come out until the day that Congress passed $1.7 trillion spending bill that provides little relief to the agents trying to stem the border migrant tide. The uh, numbers are staggering, and uh, we're going to delve into those here today with our guest. As we approached Christmas, unprecedented numbers from all over the world were making their way toward the southwestern border of the U.S. to pour in for anticipation of the lifting of Title 42. Yuma County declared a state of emergency not only on health grounds, but also the vast number of illegal immigrants using the keyword asylum to gain entrance. The numbers are literally off the charts. Courts have stopped the lifting of Title 42, but for how long? And will the turnstile into America operate unhindered as we enter a new year? Well, joining us today with the latest information, we welcome back Mark Krikorian. Mark is a nationally recognized expert on immigration issues, serving as the executive director of Center for Immigration Studies. They're an independent, nonpartisan research organization ex- ex- uh, examining and critiquing the impact of immigration on the United States. He's testified numerous times before Congress, has published articles on many outlets with us today. Mark, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Mark, uh, many are having a hard time figuring out, first of all, we're going to get into Title 42 and what's happened in the courts, but many are having a hard time figuring out the border plan of President Biden. How would you describe the plan overall? I mean, what what is the plan? The plan is to spend money to move illegal immigrants even faster into the United States. And I'm not joking. That's that's their goal. And because they don't see the problem the same way everybody else does. They think that the problem is that illegal immigrants are, you know, uh, uh, sort of backing up in these border communities. They're sleeping on the streets in El Paso. Uh, they're burdening these, you know, towns like El Paso and McAllen, Texas, and Yuma, Arizona. And the solution is to move people out of those towns into the interior of the country. That's what, the, that's what they see as the problem. They do not see the problem. Uh, they do not see it as a problem that there's mass illegal entry into the United States. They don't think that's a problem. That's, they think that these people literally have a right to come across our border and stopping them would be immoral. I mean, literally, that's the way they view it. And so the plan is, like I said, to spend more money to move more people more quickly away from the border into the interior of the country. Man, that that, that is really, really outrageous. I mean, uh, to to know that that, uh, the president is charged with, you know, protecting us, uh, protecting this land, and to follow the rule of law, this this really violates the very rule of law that's already in existence. Absolutely. I mean, look, the the federal, the the immigration statute says that the, the, the tasks the president, this is Congress telling the president what to do, because they're the ones that write the law, tasks the president with doing everything in his power to stop all illegal crossings of the border. That's what the law says, and they're just ignoring it. And that's one of the many parts of the immigration law this administration just ignores. And they know they're ignoring the law, but they consider immigration law to be immoral in itself. They consider it to be something like um, Jim Crow, 
And if the law requires them to turn people away, they see themselves as heroic in subverting what they consider to be an immoral law. That's not going to change uh, on, you know, until this administration changes. They're going to try to do some cosmetic things here and there to try to you know, limit the public uh, relations fallout. Uh, you know, I'm sure they're willing to concede something like that, but they're not going to do what's necessary to stop this because they don't believe that it's morally right to stop it. And, and Mark, you know, we're talking so much more than just people, you know, bodies coming into the U.S. We're also talking crime. We're talking uh, illegal drug activity. I mean, it, it's devastating what is being imported across that border with with those who are, are, you know, really coming across for clandestine purposes. Yeah, I mean, the you know, most of the people coming across are now just turning themselves into the Border Patrol. Um, but there's two issues, there's two things that, first of all, that's bad enough. I mean, we're talking huge numbers of people have no right to be here. They put burdens on schools, hospitals, job market, you name it. But there's two other problems. One is people coming across who don't want to be caught who don't turn themselves in, they call them gotaways. And there are hundreds of thousands of them, probably something like a million since this administration took over. Those people, if they don't want to turn themselves in, why do you think that is? Some of them are people who've been deported before. Others are criminals. Probably some of them are terrorists. Last year, they stopped 98 people. They actually caught 98 people on the terrorist watch list. How many did they miss? The other issue is the drugs. And the issue is not that these the regular illegal aliens are all, you know, carrying backpacks of drugs. The, the issue is this. The cartels in Mexico, they don't do the smuggling themselves. What they do is they take a tax from people, and they have divided up the whole border into different turfs. Different cartels control it. What they do is not only make money off of that tax. In fact, in some cartels, they're making more money off of that than off of drugs. But also... They use the flow of people to distract the Border Patrol. So they tell a smuggler, okay, here's your tax. You get 10% off if you cross at this point in the river at this time of night. Bring your 300 people all at once to swarm across the border. Every Border Patrol agent from miles around has to be stripped from what they're doing to deal with folks. And you have parts of the border that are literally unpatrolled. There's just nobody there. And so that's when you get your fentanyl and your other poisons yeah. across the border, because there's literally nobody there to stop you. You know, and how many, I mean, I think I've got, what you said, I've got so many questions here, but when you talk about the numbers that are having the encounters at the southwestern border, you, you talked about the massive number of gotaways, but what about those that, that we do know, the numbers that, that are, the, the, the encounters that are happening with Border Patrol agents, what kind of numbers are we seeing there? The numbers are huge. Um, the fiscal year 2021, which was, uh, you know, about eight months of it was under Biden or seven months. Um, that was the highest number of Border Patrol apprehensions at the border ever. They call them encounters now, as though you're bumping into people in the street. It's just PC terminology. That was something like 1.6 million. Well, the fiscal year 2022 that ended September 30th. I don't know why they do that. But anyway, that was that broke the earlier record. That was like two point two million uh, encounters, so-called, at the border. Now, all of those people weren't let in because some of those people were sent back under something called Title 42. They may have tried a couple times. But um, this administration has actually let into the U.S. and let go something like one and a half million illegal aliens since they took right. office. What, whatever. Uh, and those. Those people are all here permanently. None of them are ever going to leave, no matter what happens to their asylum cases. Whatever happened to Vice President Kamala Harris's message that she took to Central America, do not come? I mean, her border policy doesn't seem to be working here. Yeah, well, because, look, people who want to immigrate here illegally are, are, just, you know, are weighing the odds. What, I have to spend all this money or take these risks or go into debt, whatever it is, in order to try to get across the border of the U.S., what are the odds I'm going to succeed? If the odds are low, fewer people will spend the money and take the risks. 
if the odds of getting across are high, then people are willing to do it. That's what counts, not what Vice President Kamala Harris said. She said, do not come. Remember, she said it twice, so she that means she was serious. <laughs> yes. The information that matters is the neighbor of yours who went north and calls on your cell phone from Charlotte, North Carolina, because they were let go and says, hey, they let me go. That is the information people act on, not what some government official says or what a press release says. And this administration is letting people go. In fact, last month, they let go more than two-thirds of the people. Two-thirds of the people they caught were released into the United States. The other third were this Title 42 returns. That is probably the highest percentage that they've just let go of any month, as far as I can tell. So it's all going in the wrong direction. Title 42 ends, and we can talk about that in a little more detail. They're going to be letting almost everybody go, and you're just going to attract more people that way. So let's talk about Title 42, and I'd like to revisit what happened over the last week here as it relates to Title 42, what's going on on the courts, what's transpiring there at the southern border, southwest border. But uh, if I think it would be just good to rehash, Mark, if you would, what Title 42 is and what's been happening legally to keep it in place and, and what transpired in the courts last week. Title 42 is a shorthand term for a public health measure that because of the pandemic back in 2020, they um, issued an order under Title 42 of the U.S. Code. What that means is the Border Patrol could just bounce back across the border anybody they caught, no hearings, no asylum claim, no nothing, for public health reasons. Uh, Under Trump, the overwhelming majority of people who did come over were sent back that way. And that kept them out of the asylum system. It meant they weren't just let go into the United States. It was very effective. Biden has kept it in place. It's the only Trump border-related policy they've kept, but they were using it less and less. They filed a law. They tried to end it. And there's like two competing lawsuits. The the details are um, more than people really need to know, but the administration is both suing to end Title 42 and is defending a lawsuit, and is trying to keep Title 42. Trying to extend it, yeah. Um, You know, what happened is the Supreme Court said, okay, it was supposed to end on December 21st. It was supposed to just turn into a pumpkin, and that was the end of it. Supreme Court said, okay, no, they delayed that. And they said, it's, uh, you know, we're going to now take a look at this. So at some point next year, I would guess sooner rather than later, Supreme Court, I mean, heck, it could still be this year. There's another week left. Supreme Court is going to look at this and decide whether Title 42 orders are legitimate or not. At some point, it's going to end. It may be next week. It may be next month. I don't know. But pretty soon, the only authority that this administration has been sort of half-heartedly using to control the border is going to go away. And they're going to end up just letting go almost everybody who shows up at the border. And that's when we're going to see if the administration is willing to change course or if they're just going to, you know, doggedly stick to what they're doing. Mark Recorian, our guest here today on Crosstalk, Chaos at the Southwest Border. We'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY America Network. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, how did Darwin come up with the idea of evolution? Chris Charles Darwin was actually preparing to be a pastor. His real interest, however, was in the study of nature. Sometimes school kids are taught that Darwin was a believer in creation until he went to the Galapagos and saw that the facts of nature pointed otherwise. This is not true. Darwin's grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, was a renowned scientist and poet back in the 1700s. He was also a vicious anti-Christian. In 1770, he began to promote evolutionary ideas. When Charles Darwin wrote his book, Origin of Species, he repeated the main examples of evolution used by his grandfather. He rejected scripture in favor of his grandfather's evolutionary ideas and thereby affected the whole Western world. How much better if he had gone back to Genesis and seen the truth that's recorded there. Thanks, Dr. John. 
You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. Mark Krikorian is with us today from the Center for Immigration Studies. Their website, CIS.org. We're talking about uh, chaos really at the southwest border. Uh, Mark, we're talking about Title 42 here, and I see that the Department of Justice readily admits that the lifting of Title 42 will likely, they say, likely lead to disruption and what they call a, quote, temporary increase in unlawful border crossings. I don't know what they mean by temporary, but um, they're readily admitting this is this is going to cause disruption. Yeah, and they're right. Uh, they can't, uh, you know, avoid reality. The um, Just to give you a little context, uh, Obama's Homeland Security Secretary, Jay Johnson, who I disagreed with in a lot of stuff, but he's a serious man. He said that when he was in charge, 1,000 Border Patrol arrests in a day was a lot. That was straining their system. That was a crisis. 1,000 a day on the border. What we are now seeing is something like 7,000 a day. My. today. Now, with this Title 42 thing in place, we're seeing seven times what Obama's guy said was already a crisis. Homeland Security as estimated, and this is what that DOJ was referring to that you quoted, they're estimating that if this Title 42 authority is ended, arrests could double or more up to, actually at one point they estimated up to 18,000 a day. Um, And, you know, maybe it'll only be double and it'll be 14,000 a day. Remember, 1,000 a day is a crisis. What's 14,000 a day? A mega crisis, super crisis, I don't know what, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it means basically the border of the United States no longer would function, period. And I believe to illegal migrants who've been making their way to the U.S., many of them truly believe that the lifting of Title 42 just means open turnstiles into the U.S., doesn't it? Uh, And they're basically right, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. unless this administration changes course. You know, they, the Biden people keep saying there's, you know, disinformation spread in Latin America and smugglers are lying to their potential customers, what have you. No, they're not. They're just telling them what's going on. People know, people, you know, who want to come here, they know more about immigration policy, quite frankly, than I do sometimes. Uh, they get, you know, they immediately know, they all know what Title 42 is. Uh, they don't need an expl- explainer about it. And they know that when it's lifted, the odds of their just being let go into the United States uh, will go will be even better than they are now. And right now, the odds are better than even that if you come across, you'll be let go. So, you know, imagine what's going to happen after Title 42. So, uh, no, you know, people are making rational decisions. You know, people who come here want to come here illegally. They're not stupid. They're not you know, sheep that are being lied to and misled. They're weighing the alternatives. They're looking at what the incentives are, what are the costs, what are the risks, and they, on balance, then make a decision. This administration has essentially invited this illegal immigration wave. In fact, shortly after Biden took office, one of our guys, one of my analysts, was taught, went across the river and talked to a smuggler an actual alien smuggler. And this guy just routinely referred to Biden's rhetoric and his policies as la invitacion, Spanish for the invitation. That's the way they see it. You ask any illegal immigrant before they get here and, you know, before the immigration lawyers get to them and coach them about what their story is and you ask them and they say, oh, yeah, well, I'm coming because I need to earn more money and I want better opportunity for my kids and all that's all totally understandable stuff. None of which, though, has anything to do with asylum. Mark Krikorian is our guest today. Mark, I see that uh, Yuma County, uh, Arizona, actually declared a state of emergency last week. I mean, they, they've been at the receiving brunt of the president's policies, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I was there a couple months ago and um, right near... Uh, in Yuma, basically, I mean, literally, you get on 16th Street and just drive west to the end of it, and you get to the fence. Then you go down a couple miles, go south a couple miles, you get to the end of the fence where an Indian reservation starts, and the Indians didn't they didn't allow the fence. So the the real fence, you know, 30 foot high, serious fence, it ends there. And guess what? That's where people just come across the end of the fence, turn themselves in. The Border Patrol has a 
uh, like a canopy set up in case you come during the day for shade. They've got porta potties set up there. Hmm. It's the board. This administration has turned the border patrol into a welcome wagon for illegal immigrants. Literally inverted the purpose of the border patrol. And um, El Paso is also getting hit. They declared a state of emergency uh, last week because they're worried about um, this Title 42 ending. Because El Paso is the place that's getting most of it now. But all along the border, people are coming across, and even liberal Democrats are saying, well, we can't afford this. They're not, but they're not calling for immigration control. They want more money from they Washington money. Yep. to just cover the costs. So it doesn't cost them as much, but they, they want to keep the, you know, the revolving door open as much as possible. Vice President Harris had some visitors dropped off at her door this weekend. She did indeed. Uh, this is uh, Texas has been busing people to you know, um, Chicago and to New York and also to Washington. And this is not the first time that they've gone. It's on Massachusetts Avenue. It's the Naval Observatory. That's where the vice president's house is. And they just pull over and just let people out. And they did that on Christmas Eve. And, you know, the administration is outraged. This is cruel, blah, blah, blah. It's like the most heavily policed place in the country after the White House. None of these people are all, they're not going to be sitting out there on the sidewalk for more than 10 minutes before somebody does something about it. And quite frankly, why doesn't the vice president just welcome them in? She's, mm-hmm. You know, her administration is letting them come into the United States. Why shouldn't they go and go into the Naval Observatory, too? What's the problem? Yeah. Well, and they, whether it be Martha's Vineyard or whether it be uh, New York or Chicago, I mean, the, the accusations how these governors, uh, DeSantis and and Governor Abbott, they're just, you know, using them as political pawns and, and, and trying to score political points when when you really need to hold up a, a mirror to the, you know, to this administration as to the efforts that they are making to, to make this all happen. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they're not doing it to score political points, but they are doing it for political purposes. In other words, the point of this is to get people's attention because all of these sanctuary cities and sanctuary states and, you know, the federal government where the Biden administration is trying to create a sanctuary country, basically, they're not dealing with the cost of this in the same way that Texas and Arizona especially are. And so this tactic of busing people uh, and they're, you know, it's all voluntary. These are people who don't otherwise have relatives or maybe, you know, the, the relatives on the way. And so they use the bus trip to go halfway and then, uh, you know, and then get off, whatever. I mean, this, you know, this is, it does in fact help some of these illegals. There's no question about it, but the administration's letting them in anyway. And the point of this is to force the media to cover this issue because they literally do not want right. to cover it. And the governor, uh, Governor Abbott, just released the numbers. I saw uh, something on Twitter today. I forget what the number is, but it's something like the total they've uh, bust out from Texas was something like fourteen or fifteen thousand, which is two days worth of illegals coming across the border. Wow! Uh, and so this isn't a solution in the sense of, you know, this is a way to deal with the crisis. The point of this is to force the political class and the media class to cover something that they would rather the public didn't pay attention to. Yeah, well, and I I don't think the Department of Homeland Security really wants the numbers to get out of the apprehensions and other issues going on. No question about it. I mean, this is the least transparent administration in history when it comes to immigration statistics. Under Trump, uh, they actually put onto the web statistics that weren't there before. They increased transparency and tried to get information out there as much as possible for people who want to use it. This administration, they're sitting on it. In fact, there's an annual report that ICE used to do and release like in December of every year for the end of the, for the previous fiscal year, which was a couple, ended a couple months before December. This administration didn't do it last year, and it looks like they're not going to be doing it this year. Hmm. They released a report, but it was sort of sanitized, and it didn't have half the information that people wanted to know because they don't want that information out. This ICE, the deportations by ICE have collapsed under this administration. The smallest number of deportations in, I don't know, decades, which is no surprise 
but they don't want people to have those numbers at hand. There's another aspect to this as well, Mark, and I saw a column at townhall.com, and one of the writers were indicating that the Yuma, um, uh, the regional medical center has just multiple millions of dollars in unpaid expenses due to giving care to people. They get injured or they arrive sick. I mean, they're talking everything from uh, people in need of dialysis to uh, heart surgery, cardiac uh, catheterizations, and the list goes on from there. But but the, the, this medical center, multiple millions of money, I mean, I can only imagine that they've got to pass these costs on to people who've gotten, you know, to insurance carriers and, and uh, to people paying by cash as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, this is this really is a serious thing. I was kind of surprised. One of our analysts went to uh, Mexicali, which is on the Mexican side near Yuma, uh, and he was... Uh, Looking at, he was learned about a new DHS policy to try to reduce the statistics for illegal crossings by a pre-approving people, so that and then handing them off to U.S. authorities so that they don't count, they don't illegally cross the border. They're just let in, quote legally unquote, which is bad enough. But one of the people he talked to was a guy who said he was coming across because he had lung cancer and wanted care. Well, I'm sorry, but, you know, we can't be the hospital to the world. Our costs, our medical care costs are already through the roof. And I don't, you know, I'm no expert on health care, so I can't tell you what the solution is. But I do know the solution is not importing more people from the third world who need super expensive medical care that, you know, our own people often can't even get. You had mentioned about the really some double standards going on within the Biden administration, whereby they are suing and filing legal work to, you know, put an end to Title 42. At the same time, they're they're filing the, 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 the legal paperwork and arguing for uh, that they should be able to extend Title 42. And isn't this back and forth just really worsening the problem? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because uh, the way you deter people from doing illegal things is by sending a clear, consistent message and then sticking with it. This administration can't decide what it's going to do. Um, you know, they, they think that maybe if they do a little tweaks around the edges and press releases will somehow convince people not to come. And that's not going to happen. And, you know, there's a bigger problem even just in the management of this administration, and this doesn't even apply just to immigration, it's that there's nobody in charge. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, people joke about the president having Alzheimer's and what have you. I don't think it's quite that bad, but he clearly is not running things in the White House. He's sort of a figurehead. And the problem is nobody's in charge. There's various people who are exercising authority in different areas. There's no one to put his foot down and say, this is the line this is what you have to do. And what you end up with is the radical people who are appointed to run immigration are the ones just doing whatever they feel like doing. And this is what you're seeing. We're up against a break right now. Mark Krikorian with us from the Center for Immigration Studies. Folks, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to learn about a Section 212F uh, in the immigration law. We'll be back in just a minute. The one book that's been credited as one of the major catalysts for the modern creationist movement is The Genesis Flood, authored by Dr. John Whitcomb and Dr. Henry Morris. More than 60 years ago, these two men joined together to write a controversial book that sparked dialogue and debate on Darwin, Jesus, science, the Bible, evolution, creation, and gave birth to the modern creation science movement. While skeptics cast doubt upon the authenticity of a universal flood, the Genesis Flood places before the reader the theological and scientific basis for a literal acceptance of the biblical account. Replete with empirical data, this book provides illustrations, charts, diagrams, and sound documentation that harmonizes science with biblical truth. The Genesis Flood is available for a donation of $20 or more to VCY America. Call 
You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America. With us today is Mark Krikorian from the Center for Immigration Studies, their website, CIS.org. And, Mark, you've got a ton of information on your website, lots of articles, and really informing this country. I mean, you're doing what the media is not doing, the mainstream media. They don't want to tell the story. But uh, through CIS.org, you are doing just that. Yeah, in fact, we're breaking news stories often. Um, Todd Benzman is one of our analysts, lives in Texas. He's actually broken multiple stories about what's going on in, uh, you know, on the Mexican side of the border and even down further into Central America. So, you know, it is, I mean, I'm glad we're doing it, but why are we breaking stories right. rather than the New York Times or AP or Washington Post doing it? Yeah. And uh, it really is a, an indictment of uh the media i mean they've got good reporters you know they, they they know what they're doing but the question is what do they choose to write about and they're choosing often kind of human interest sob stories instead of actually shedding light on what's going on andrew arthur from uh, your organization center for immigration studies he just uh, released an article today emphasizing section 212 parent f of the immigration and nationality act what exactly is this section? What it is, it, you know, it seems kind of wonky and, you know, detailed, and you got to go to law school to learn about it. But the premise is very simple. What that provision in the law says is that the president, if he deems it necessary, can keep out from the United States any alien, any non any foreigner, or any class of aliens, period. He has total authority to keep anyone out of the country. That's The immigration law is structured that way. The president has total authority to keep anyone out, but Congress lays out specifically the, the conditions under which he can let people in. And um, the, this administration is trying to turn that on its head, where they basically see themselves as being forced to let in anybody they want or anybody who wants to come here and can only keep out people under very narrow circumstances. But to get back to this provision, 212F, what it means is president can say nobody comes across the border, Mexican border, period. He can do that. Uh, he doesn't even need Title 42. In fact, um, that was the provision that the Trump administration relied on when they instituted the so-called Muslim ban, which wasn't really a Muslim ban. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the other side uh, fought and tried to drag it out and slow it down in court and all that stuff. But when it finally got to the Supreme Court, Supreme Court said, look, the law says what it says. The president can do anything he wants in keeping people out of the country. So the point of the article that we posted uh, uh, at CIS.org, which posted it today, is that the president doesn't need Title 42. He can just say, you know, no one comes across the Mexican border, period, um, you know, uh, until further notice or whatever he wants to say. And this administration won't do it. They basically are presenting themselves as, you know, their hands are tied. It's, well, the courts have spoken. What can we do? No, they have total authority to keep anyone they want out of the country. They're choosing not to use it. Friends, our telephone number to Crosstalk today, taking your questions, your brief comments, are the number 1-800-733-9829. That's 800-733-9829. Your reaction to what is taking place today, uh, 800-733-9829. Mark, uh, Arizona, uh, we, we know that the the border wall was halted that uh, uh, President Trump had uh, uh, started uh, forming and, and taking effect and, and being effective in its process. But but uh, when uh, there was a change in administration, there was a change in border policy as well, which which that change in policy included the, the discontinuation of the building of the wall. And the governor of uh, of uh, Arizona, Doug Ducey, had had actually taken uh, shipping containers to form his own wall there. What is the status of what's going on there? We understand this is going to be coming down. Yeah, there were uh, gaps in the wall because of Biden's day one order, a stop work order, telling the guys doing construction, put down their tools and step away. So there were literally there were holes in the wall. Some of them, you know, literally like just 40 or 50 feet. Some of them maybe half a mile. Um, and 
the administration said in July, this July, oh, well, okay, maybe we'll actually allow some of those gaps to be filled. Because the president, remember, had said not one inch of wall will be built under his administration. So in July, this July, they said, okay, okay, we'll fill some of these gaps. September came, nothing had happened. They'd done nothing. And that's when the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, still governor for another week, I guess, said, okay, this is ridiculous. And so he ordered shipping containers stacked too, you know, too high to plug these holes. I, I was down there last month and I saw some of these. And, you know, nobody's getting over that. I mean, it's plugging the hole. Well, the feds sued Arizona saying that's federal property, federal land, and you can't put shipping today. You guys are trespassing. And so they lost the case. And so they're going to have to take them down. And frankly, the new governor of Arizona, who's going to take over next week, I guess it's next week, um, would have taken them down anyway. Uh, the interesting thing is going to be, you know, will the media cover mm-hmm. op- these opening up of new gaps in the fence, new places for people to just illegally come into the United States? Right. Because that's, you know, that's a PR, you know, uh, nightmare, it seems to me, for uh, the Democrats. But I don't think they care anymore. So, yeah, those are coming down. The administration is still saying they're going to plug some of these gaps and, and you feel, you know, build the wall and to fill them up, you know, I'll, I'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Maybe they will, but uh, maybe they won't. What, what impact do you believe the, the, the new Congress is going to have on this matter? It seems everything's stemming from the president's pen rather than uh, legislative means. Will we see any effective change? Some, but not much. I think it's important for people not to get their hopes up. Because remember, Republicans just have one House of Congress. They don't have the Senate. And there are probably there's three things they can do. One is the Republicans in the House can have investigations and hearings and subpoena information, that sort of thing. They're going to do that, and that will be useful, hopefully, in shedding some light on things that the administration doesn't want to talk about. The second thing they can do is impeach the Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, who's likely to be Speaker, has basically threatened already to do that. Now, he won't be removed from office because you need a two-thirds majority in the Senate to actually remove somebody who's been impeached, but the House can vote to impeach him, which is kind of like an indictment, and then the Senate proceedings are like a trial. Um, That itself, I think, will be significant. Um, I don't know if it'll change behavior, but it will be important that they do that. And then the third thing is to try to use the power of the purse, their control over spending. Um, The problem is they just agreed to a spending bill that goes through the end of the fiscal year, end of September. So they've basically tied their hands uh, for most of next year. But at some point, they're going to try to say, look, you're not going to get any money for X if you don't do Y. And the question is, will the Senate fight them on that? Will there be a government shutdown because of it? That kind of thing. And that's so and there's a limit to what they can do. So the House Republicans are going to try to rein the administration in, but they don't have that much ability to do it. It's hard to make a president who refuses to enforce the law actually proactively do that. And um, so it's going to be, you know, I don't, I don't, I think this is, I mean, there's going to be some, you know, meandering and some changes over the next two years, but not that much. We're going to see more of the same for two more years. The only way this is going to be resolved is politically to get rid of this administration. And I think also to elect a Republican Congress so that then maybe president and Congress can work together on getting something done. Even that doesn't guarantee it, but that's the only way we're going to get anywhere. Let's go to Dallas, Texas. Mary is calling. Mary, you're on the air. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. I just want to say thank you for your show. Um, I am a um, Mexican-American. I was born here. My parents were born here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am appalled that you know, all of this is happening because it impacts our I work in healthcare, um, and I know how much healthcare costs are coming in with this immigration. It just seems like 
we can't wait another two years until we get a new president, maybe. And what can we do between now and then? That's a great question, Mary. Um, Can we even last two more years? I mean, the poorest borders, as we're seeing, you talked about the number of gotaways, and we also know it only took 19 hijackers to do the damage that happened in 9-11. What about Mary's question? What can be done in the meantime? Yeah, I mean, there. like I I explained what the Republican House can do, again, Mm -hmm. limited. The states can do some things. The governor of Mary's state, Governor Abbott, Governor Ducey, Governor... DeSantis in Florida have done some things, but most of those are really political moves to try to draw attention to the issue rather than actual solutions, uh, because this is ultimately a federal issue. And I'm, I mean, I'm really afraid that it's going to take something like 9-11 perpetrated by people who got across the border to get this administration to actually do its job. I don't think anything short of that can change the course. Uh, This isn't like um, when Jimmy Carter was president. Some of your older Mm -hmm. listeners may remember he had something, he faced something called the Mario boat lift, where he basically invited Fidel Castro to empty his jails into the United States, that anybody who could get out of Cuba, he would welcome with open heart and open arms. And Castro was like, hey, fantastic. And so he sent 120,000 people, some of them just regular people who wanted to get out of Cuba, but also lots of people from uh, jails, insane asylums, and obviously spies as well. Um, But, and that really got out, it was getting out of control. Carter was able to immediately change direction and shut it down because he hadn't campaigned on being Mr. Open Borders. And the Democratic Party had not completely gone off the deep end yet. So he had the flexibility to say, okay, okay, this is my mistake. Shut it down. And he shut it down. And it worked. This administration could do that. The problem is they are so invested in anti-borders ideology that they don't have, and their own party is too. I mean, there's only one Democrat in Congress uh, in the House, literally just one. Uh, Congressman Cuellar from South Texas, who is not an open borders guy. And so the president, even if he wanted to, would have a hard time changing course, and he doesn't want to. Thank you, Mary, for the call. We're going to move on to Ron in Tri-Cities, Washington. You're on the air. Yes, I I would like to discuss about the churches, especially the Catholic Church, how they're trying to undermine our sovereignty at the border, both sides of the border. But all the churches are involved. And thank you. I'll, I'll take my uh, comments off the air. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, look, the Catholic Church is uh, very um, active in opposing immigration enforcement, but the mainline Protestant and evangelical churches, even the National Association of Evangelicals, especially, are all, they're just as bad. Um, so this is, you know, this is a serious problem. And what it points to is that the leadership classes of our society, whether it's churches, government, business, unions, media, are all post-American. They don't see themselves as serving the interests of the American people specifically. And that's a big problem, not just immigration, but in a lot of other areas, too. We're up against a break. We will be back in one minute with more of your calls. You're listening to Crosstalk. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. I was recently interviewing my longtime friend, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, and I was quoting to him his own words from his own book, Hitler's Cross. In this book, Dr. Lutzer documents historically how the head of the SS, Himmler, wanted his troops to be involved in, well, incredible debauchery and crimes and cruelty so that he could accomplish a couple things. One was to sever their conscience. Another was to make them break away from their old values and that of their faith and their family and to alienate them from their family and friends so they would now bond with this new group of people that had also carried out these horrific acts. My friends, how is that any less the psychological op going on with our children today where we sexualize children in our schools with, well, stuff we couldn't even read on the air? to encourage them to be involved in behavior that will accomplish the same thing as Himmler thought to do with his SS troops.
Our guest today, Mark Krikorian from the Center for Immigration Studies. Their website, cis.org, cis.org. Our lines are packed. Let's go right back to them. Joe in Laval, Wisconsin, you're on the air. I have a brief comment and then a question for Mr. Krikorian. In response to declining enrollment, many universities have formally adopted a policy of recruiting more international students to try to fluff up the enrollment. Now, is the role of inflation it might not be that effective in the long run, but I suspect that many international students are taking advantage of that recruitment policy and are overstaying the pieces. My question for Mr. Kokorian is, where can I find data regarding the percentage of international students who are state or student visas? Thank you, John. Yeah, we actually had a report on uh, visa overstays. If you go to our site, cis.org, and Google, I mean, not Google, but there's a search uh, thing there, visa overstay student or something like that. It's a report not just on students but on everything else, and there's uh, and we have that from DHS statistics. But it's a significant problem, and the foreign student issue in general is a big issue because our universities are basically, you know, in a sense, kind of checking out of America. They just prefer people from overseas because they, uh, you know, pay full tuition and um, are just, in their, in their view, just preferable. And so this is something we're going to have to grapple with, uh, limiting the foreign student issue, which right now is completely unlimited. They can bring in universities and bring in as many as they feel like. Thank you, Joe, for the call. Jeff is next from Jefferson. You're on the air. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, well, isn't it amazing uh, what two stolen elections will do for you? Hmm. Uh, amazing the damage that's been wrought in such a short time. Um, I have zero faith in the GOP or McCarthy doing anything right. I mean, they just decided to, uh, the people in the Republican Party decided to tie their own hands for a year. Brilliant. Um, we've tried every avenue to deal with this. Um, peacefully, and uh, I do believe it's time for a general strike. Hmm. Jeff, we're going to have our guest comment on this further. Uh, many are, you know, we're saying, hey, if you're going to pass the spending package, do it for just 30 days or something of that nature to get the new Congress in. But to tie our hands as a nation, I mean, Jeff has a, a legitimate point. Why would the <laughs> the GOP no. consent to something like that? And, and several... I... I agree completely, and remember, lots of Republicans did not consent to that. Mm-hmm. But the question was, since the Democrats have majorities in both houses of Congress, remember, um, the you would have to be willing to have a government shutdown at Christmas. This was blackmail tactic the Democrats always follow. And what I'd like to see is some rule change, something like this, so that, you know, no spending bills can expire in December or something like that to prevent this. But that's, that's the game they were playing. And, you know, if you're a Republican politician, it's a, it's a hard, you know, a hard calculation to make that if you do this, you're going to shut the government down at Christmas and every store, you know, every media outlet is going to flay you alive. So it's not an enviable position that they're in. So I'm willing to give them a little bit of slack. Jeff, thanks for the call. Gail is next in Tennessee. You're on the air, Gail. Uh, yes. Um, I was listening to the radio about two weeks ago on a talk show, and there was a gentleman that had called in, and uh, there was a realtor that called him and asked him um, about buying his house. And he said, number one, he said, my house isn't for sale. And uh, she said, well, she said, we're inquiring, she said, because we are working with the government in order to buy houses for these illegals, and they were paying cash, top dollar, and then not only that, the illegals would not have a house payment to make at all. I'd like to ask the speaker if he's heard anything about that. Thank you, Gail. No, I'm not familiar with that, but it wouldn't surprise me if there are, it probably wouldn't be government money spent on that. It would be, or at least not directly. If something like that is happening, it's probably one of these uh, so-called, uh, you know, activist groups, maybe that gets government contracts that uses money for something like that. But no, I haven't, I haven't heard of that happening. Thank you, Gail. Let's go to Gary in Milwaukee. You're on the air, Gary. Yeah, we're the military. To me, this is an invasion of this country. The um, 
the military, whether it's the National Guard or the you know military controlled by the Pentagon, has very limited role in what it can do. The military's job is to shoot people. And um, we don't need to shoot people to control illegal immigration. We just need to enforce the law. So the, you know, the problem, I mean, Governor Abbott has actually used the National Guard. And in fact, other states have lent National Guard troops to Texas and mainly Texas, I think. But there's a limit. They can't arrest people. They can, you know, help the Border Patrol be extra eyes and ears. But if the Border Patrol is ordered basically just to wave people into the country, how much do the eyes and ears even help? Um, you know, the, the, I understand people's frustration, but the problem is not that we are unable to stop this flow of people and we have to resort to tanks and machine guns. The problem is this administration is refuses to do the normal law enforcement things necessary to control the border. That's what we need to fix, and that's what's going to be hard to fix. Thank you, Gary, for the call. Let me just, we have just a minute left here, Mark. Uh, as you look ahead here to 2023, are you optimistic or are you concerned as it relates to primarily our southwestern border? It's going to get worse before it gets better. So I'm pessimistic in the short term. It's going to be pretty bad, I think. But it's going to get bad enough that even the you know leadership classes of our society are going to have to concede something has to be done. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, as Leon Trotsky, the communist, the Soviet uh, guy said, you know, worse is better. Um, In a sense, it's going to have to get worse before it gets better. So I'm optimistic in a sort of medium term, but I'm pessimistic in the short term. Well, well. And folks, this is uh, staying in contact with your local legislators, your state legislature, as well as your U.S. congressmen and senators, so critically important. And that that interaction is just must take place, Mark. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And uh, there's actually a great group that does that. My organization, CIS, is a think tank. There's a group called Numbers USA. You just Google it, numbersusa.com. That is a citizen action group that does the kind of thing you're talking about, helping engage people with their representatives. I highly recommend them. Mark Krikorian with us today. The website CIS.org, that's Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, Mark, thank you so much for being with us today, and uh, we wish you a Happy New Year. Yo, thank you. You too. Thank you, Mark. And uh, friends, thanks for joining us today on Crosstalk. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from VCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208, or download by RSS or podcast from crosstalkamerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.